0: You have, anybody else have a blue healer here? Yeah, you know, Truby, then. Um, blue healers know one speed, and that is full speed, okay? And so um, we have had to take uh, the W word out of our vocabulary. We cannot say out loud the word walk, because if we say the word walk, she just goes into spasms, and I mean, she'll be jumping up all four feet off the ground. And so, you know, I am long past the ability to jump all two feet off the ground, but that's the way I feel this morning, that we're starting Summit again, and to be in a room full of this group of guys, man, I feel like my dog. I just can't be more excited that Summit's uh, here again. Um, Fourteenth one that I've had the privilege of uh, being a part of uh, as a a guy on staff here at Watermark, and... um, This one's going to be our best one. We're going to be studying a great book. Um, It's going to be a fun time. We've got a great lineup of speakers. And so button your chin straps, guys, because it's going to be fun. So let me pray for us. Then I want to talk for just a couple of minutes, and then we're going to turn Blake loose to teach you everything you ever needed to know about the book of James. Okay? No pressure, buddy. Uh, So let me pray for us. Lord, thanks for the privilege of coming together as a group of men who have been called not only to follow your son, but have been called to uh, lead others also. And so I'm just grateful for each guy here and grateful for the um, uh, way that they have uh, disciplined themselves uh, to follow hard after your son and also to lead others uh, and to do so with excellence. And so, Father, our humble prayer is that you would be a part uh, of this um, summit semester and then indeed this summit year as we study the book of James and as we learn what it means to uh, uh, put our faith to work. And so, Father, uh, just we ask your uh, hand of blessing be on uh, each guy in this room. May we lead our groups with excellence and may all that we think, say, and do uh, as a part of summit be something that honors you. So thanks for this time, in Christ's name, amen. Uh, before I go any further, let me say a word of thanks to um, Angie Moser, right back in the back. She is the one who put on our feast, ably assisted by uh, our um, equipping resident, Nathan Wagnon. Say hello, Nathan. Appreciate all their work to make this thing happen. And so as you came in, you should have grabbed this uh, little book of James, and as you can see, uh, um, I am newly recovered from, or in the process of recovering from uh, rotator cuff surgery, and so I can't get any higher than this. Uh, but by the end of Summit, I hope we'll be able to get it all the way up. See, uh, the the bottom line, though, is that uh, I'm going to be a one-armed preacher here this morning, but that's all right. Okay, so we're going to have some fun going through the book of James. And if you open to the table of contents... you'll see we're going to do the first six weeks uh, in the spring, and then we're going to do the last six weeks in the fall, okay? It's the same setup as the uh, Genesis book that we used, and you'll see that there are things for your guys to do five days a week, okay? And so uh, uh, there are also questions uh, at the end that you're welcome to use as a part of your small group discussion. But we're also going to have the questions from um, the guy who will be speaking in the large group time each week for you to use. And we're working on getting those things available for you very early on in the semester so you'll be able to use them to plan your small group time. Okay, so um, it's really important that... You guys, as the leaders, as you uh, ask your men to do the homework on a daily basis, and we ask them to do that, why? Not to just check a box, but to be building the habit of being in the Word on a daily basis. That's what we're trying to do here, okay? And so um, these... uh, um, the great thing about this little book, it has the text of the book of James in there. It's got some great study notes as a part of that, and so as, as you ask your guys to do their homework on a daily basis, you've got to be talking about what they're doing in your group. And you've got to—you uh, uh, can only expect what you're willing to inspect. Um, I got an email from a guy that uh, uh, talked about. Uh, uh, his summit leader, who's not sitting in this room right now, um, but and said, hey, it was a great group. We really had a lot of fun. But he never talked about any of the uh, homework that we had. He never did any of the uh, questions in the little book. So why did we do the book? Well, that's a great question. And so while we trust you guys to figure out how best to serve your group in the material that you use, uh, as we ask our guys to do this little booklet I'm really asking you to be sure you talk about the things that are in the book. Okay, You don't have to do that exclusively, uh, but you need to work in at least a question or two that shows that it matters to you and it matters to them whether they have actually done the homework week in and week out. Everybody good on that? Okay, um, so this week, Blake's going to uh, walk us through the book of James, and uh, we're going to give you a great running start uh, for your own study of the book of James, and one of the reasons we wanted to do this uh, a little bit early, we're not going to start Summit until February 20th, okay? Summit will run from February 20th through April 13th, and one of the reasons that we're doing uh, this early start is to give you a chance to do your own study on the book of James. And Blake's going to give you a great run and start uh, this week. The next week, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to talk about, hey, what does it look like to have an excellent small group? And so we're going to have a small group time together. Okay? So it's going to be fun. It's going to be different. And so don't miss next week. Uh, it will be, a, uh, uh, I think, something that will help you To be an even better small group leader, okay? Blake, you about ready, buddy? Right here we go.
1: All right, how y'all doing this morning? This is fun, isn't it? I uh, was just talking to my wife yesterday about my little girl and just the classes she's taking at school. She's starting to take some of those advanced math classes and. Some of those classes, frankly, um, I wasn't smart enough to to test into, you know, and uh, I think she's taking in middle school what I took in high school. And the thing that bothered me about some of the classes that she's taking, maybe why I didn't do so well, is I felt like we just lived in theory, you know, it it, it was always up here. Some of those advanced math classes, I, I, I just wanted to raise my hand and go, why am I learning this? I'm solving for X, but what in the heck is X? And where am I ever going to apply this? So what? And, um, and my wife loved those classes. I mean, she was like, I never even asked that question. I just wanted to get X and get the thing right and get a good grade and move on. But I'm the kind of guy, when I learn something, I want to know why. It drives me crazy. Why are we learning this? What are we supposed to do with this? Right? Are you one of those guys? Are you one of those guys that's like, hey man, put the cookies on a lower shelf, tell me the practical implications, why are we doing this? And if that is where you are, if that's the kind of guy you are, just kind of brass tacks, shoot me straight, how do we put this thing into into practice, you're going to love the book of James. Because James pulls no punches, he is not about theory, right? He's... uh, Paul, and most of his books, as you know, what he does is he builds his doctrine first. And then it kind of goes from doctrine to duty, if you will. Um, It goes from the philosophical to here's how you practice it. Like Romans, as you guys know, we study that. Romans 1 through 11, it has more of the the theology, the the truth, right? And then you get to 12 through 16, and it's in light of this truth, now this is what you are to do, how you're to live it out. James doesn't do that. James just goes, here is what a genuine faith looks like. The people at this time are being persecuted for their faith. They're scattered abroad. He's got a shepherd's heart. He's writing from Jerusalem to the people who are persecuted and scattered. And it's like, I hey, don't have time to for all the theory and the, and the lessons. I'm just going to shoot you straight. Here's how you live out your faith. And so this is a great book. The meaning's right there on the surface. You know, I think it was Mark Twain who said, It's not the passages of scripture that I don't understand that bother me. It's the passages of scripture that I clearly understand that are troubling to me. And I think you're going to find James has a few passages that are notorious, I will tell you, in chapter 2 and 5 especially, that make people scratch their heads, kind of these what I refer to as interpretive challenges where there's a lot of debate. But for the most part, for the most part, this is a, a book that's kind of just hit you right between the eyes. Okay, and so um, I think you're going to like that uh, your discussion is not necessarily going to be about what does that mean? What does that mean? I don't know. What do you think that means? I think this is going to be a time in your small groups where you're going to be focusing on not what does that mean? But, hey, what are the implications in your life? And as you may hear us say around here a lot, it's not complicated, but it's really hard to do. And there is a difference right it's not complicated if i want to get into shape i just got to put on my running shoes and start running and sometimes that's really hard to do it's dark it's cold i didn't get enough sleep i don't want to get out of bed but that's not complicated it's just hard i got to get up and start moving and these truths aren't complicated But sometimes it's just hard to put into practice. I mean, right from the get-go, you know, what does a tested faith look like? A tested faith is one that's going to persevere through trial. And I know that you guys, right now, there's many of you, I know in my own life right now, there's been some real challenges for me personally just this week. And I've looked at James, ironically, as we're preparing for today, and I'm going, all right, how does God's word instruct me to view these trials? not complicated, but really hard to do. So I think James is going to be a book that you fellows are going to like. I think guys are kind of the take action type folks. And what I want to do today is I want to give you an overview of the background, who wrote James, uh, when he wrote it, what the themes are, kind of how to put some handles on the book of James and give you a point of reference Um, give you key verses and that type of thing. What are the unique uh, features to the book of James? I'm going to give you a handout when I'm done that has everything I'm sharing with you here, but I don't want you to be distracted by that. I want you to walk through and and hear kind of where I'm going, but I assure you, you're going to have all this in your hands. And then we're going to close, and I'm going to give you a chance to do a little bit what we're going to do in our groups um, by working at your tables. So let me pray for us. And then, uh, we're going to look at the book of James. All right. Well, Lord, thank you for the men who would rise up early to, uh, come be a part of, uh, our time together here and equip themselves to better understand and uh, apply the book of James. Father, I thank you for this book. I thank you that it's a book that that's meaning is right there on the surface. It is a Call to action. It is a no nonsense, punch you in the nose kind of book that's not complicated, but it is awfully hard to do. And so, Lord, I pray for each of these men that um, we would model in our lives a faith that's put into practice. That, Father, we would um, live out our lives, our faith, rather, and um, people who, in our small groups, would be challenged and encouraged and exhorted and admonished, Lord, to follow our leadership. That we'd be able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Um, Lord, we say around here often, speed of the leader, speed of the team. And so I pray that we would set the, set the pace for those in our groups. I pray for those who are going to join our group who are far from you, Lord, who uh, are going to walk in here for the very first time like it happens every summit. And I pray, Lord, we would love those who are far from you. We would speak the truth of the gospel in a way which you would use. We'd plant seeds and by the power of your spirit, Lord, um, eyes of men would be open for the very first time. I pray, Lord, that those who are disconnected from the body would be loved and encouraged and get a taste of what it looks like to live life with other men in such a way that they would plug in with us. I pray, Lord, that those who are unmoved and just kind of going through the motions, but, um, Father, they're ill-equipped. I pray, Lord, that you would give them a hunger to know your word and to get equipped. I pray, Father, for those who, are, um, who may have a great understanding of your word, but yet remain indifferent and on the sideline and distracted. And I pray that you give them a vision for how you want to use them. So wherever someone is, Lord, uh, on that spiritual journey, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be a catalyst in their life. And that, Father, you would guard us from going through the motions. You would allow us to lead by example and make the most of this time. We love you and give you this time. In Christ's name, amen. All right. Well, how many of you have ever studied the book of James before? Come on, raise your hand. You've studied James. All right. See, a lot of you studied James. So you... we're done here. That's great. I love it. Um, Many of you have studied the book of James before. It is one of those kind of shorter books, right? We're more likely to study James than Leviticus, probably, or uh, Deuteronomy. Um, But uh, what I want to do is is maybe put some of this together for you uh, in just a a package that's memorable, helpful, and will provide a little more color, okay? So I remember growing up, we used to have a little black and white TV in my room, and then uh, as I grew a little older, all of a sudden had a really nice color TV, and I thought that was pretty cool. And so I hope with just a little more information and detail and background information, you'll go from maybe seeing James in black and white to HD color, all right? Um, all right, so James is a little tough to outline. I will uh, admit, admit that. You'll see when you uh, read commentaries and what other people uh, have done with the book of James, some people just give up. And they're like, hey, there's no way to outline this book. And um, and on one hand, I I agree with them that it is not like Paul in the book of Romans, which is very, very logical. You could walk through chapter one, um, Paul's argument against the pagan Gentiles. And in chapter two, he's talking about the moral man and the privileged Jew. And chapter three, he's talking about how we're justified by faith. You could walk through very logically the argument that Paul makes. James isn't like that. James has a primary theme. And that primary theme is that we are to be doers of God's word and not merely hearers of God's word. He says that in chapter one. So if you, I've always looked at the book of James like a pearl necklace. The string is the call to action. Be doers of God's word and not merely hearers who delude themselves, he says in chapter one. That's the call to action. That's the string upon which various subjects and topics um, are built. You have the string, and then he's going to talk about trials. He's going to talk about temptation. He's going to talk about um, favoritism. He's going to talk about the way we speak to people. He's going to talk about how we view the future. All these various subjects. And he's going to say, hey, in light of this, of of your relationship with Jesus, it's a call to action to live out your faith in every arena of your life. So when you read it, it seems like it is close to the book of Proverbs. It is is, um, appropriate to compare it to Proverbs. It was most likely the first New Testament book ever written. Okay. And um, although it has a lot of Jewish roots to it, You will actually be surprised, and I'll share with you a little bit later on, it has a lot of similarities, and there's um, a lot of comparisons between uh, what James says and what Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount. And so it is a little difficult to outline. If I was to give it a shot, I I would, in kind of three big buckets, I would talk about a tested faith, a true faith, and a tenacious faith. Okay? And I hold these words loosely— But he's going to talk about what does a true faith look like during trials? What does a true faith look like during temptation? He's going to talk about what, uh, I'm sorry, a tested faith looks like during trials and temptation. That's how we're tested. And then he's going to talk about what does a true faith look like? How do we put our faith into practice? And then he's going to talk later in the book about uh, a tenacious faith. We won't get to that latter part until next sem- semester in our time together. All we're studying <clears throat> during these few weeks is from chapter 1, 1 through 12 to chapter 2 through 20 in your book. And most likely we're going to revise that and, and go through verse 26. But um, I'll share with that you guys later, more on that later on. But we're only looking at the first couple of chapters. During these first few weeks, if you've been with summit with us for a while, you know that we've covered a lot of ground in other books before. And when you're trying to go through Genesis and Romans and some of those other books, you're moving like it's like a helicopter tour over the city of Dallas, right? It's kind of like, well, there's Plano and there's Mesquite and there's Garland and it's kind of big picture. Right. Well, when we're going through the book of James, because it's shorter and the way we, we've divided this, you're going to have more time to chew on what's right there. We're not going to be covering as much text. Um, so there's, there's going to be a more of an in-depth look at this book. Um, now, <clears throat> there's a lot up on the screen. Again, I'm going to show it to you. But just big picture, who wrote the book of James? What do you know about James? Everybody's looking up there. Don't look up there. Just what, what do you know about James? Okay, he's Jesus' half-brother. That's exactly right. Leader of the early church, right, in Jerusalem. He, what, did he believe in Jesus before? He believed in Jesus after the resurrection. You know, wouldn't it be—I mean, when I hear that, I'm like, well, of course. I mean, it's his brother, right? And so Jesus was divine, but he was also human, Right? Kind of the, the heresy of the world is we the heresy of the world is the world denies his divinity. The heresy of the church is, is we deny his humanity. Jesus was fully God and fully man. And I imagine for James, his half brother, growing up with Jesus, he probably, there's probably, you know, like that punk, he does everything right. I can't stand that guy. Mama's boy, right? He, you know, he's always right. And so, and. He was, you know, he threw a perfect spiral. He always caught fish, right? His lines when he cut wood were always straight. He always obeyed his mom and dad. I mean, if you're James, you're probably a little frustrated too. And so James didn't come to believe in who Jesus is and what he uh, came to do until after the resurrection. And then it was kind of like, oh, all right. (laughs) You are God's son. But it is important to know, James was around a long time and had a close look at Jesus' life. James was a leader in the early church. Um, uh, James didn't believe uh, in who Jesus was until after his death and resurrection. Um, He was visited by the risen Lord. And uh, and then uh, Josephus, who's a... uh, Historian wrote that James was stoned to death for his commitment to Christ, which is something obviously is not something we have in the Bible, but uh, as history tells it, he was martyred for his faith. Um, now I told you that, and be helpful to look. Somebody turn to Acts chapter seven, verse fifty-four. And if you don't mind, reading Acts seven fifty-four through eight three for us. What fifty-four through chapter eight. eight. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. All right. So what happens here is, who's death? Stephen's death. Okay. And at the hands of Paul. Right? Or Saul, mentioned here, but we know in the very next chapter, Acts chapter 9, Paul is visited by the very one he's persecuting. Hey, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul's life is radically changed, and God changes Saul's name from Saul to Paul. Right? But it's here that the church is persecuted, and when there is persecution, the people scattered. So now you've got James, who's a pastor in Jerusalem, whose people have now scattered, right? Let's just assume that at Watermark, one day that, um, and hopefully this is not in the near future, right? But it is coming that one day it, to follow Christ and be a Christ follower is no longer uh, acceptable. And uh, those in ruling over us, have the ability to come and try to shut us down. And there's persecution and we scatter. And it's Todd who goes, hey, I'm going to write a letter. I'm going to post on Facebook, right, to all those who are scattered, those in my flock. Here's how we live out our faith in light of this persecution. That's the background, okay? There's not a lot of time here to, to write a, you know, theology, if you will, of the why. It is straight to the doing, Here's how to live it out, persecuted church. So you've got Je- Jesus' half-brother James, who's a leader in the early church, writing to a people in his flock who are being persecuted, who are scattered about. It's, he doesn't mention anyone by name here. He doesn't say, you know, to Silas, to Timothy. He's writing to his church that's been scattered. Okay? And the purpose is to instruct believers on the nature of a genuine faith and the fruit it produces. And their life. Some of the themes you'll see, um, the top one there, perseverance through suffering and trials. He's going to emphasize that faith without works is dead. We'll talk a little bit about that. He's going to talk about being a doer of God's word, not just a hearer of God's word. He's going to talk about wisdom of God versus the wisdom of this world. He's going to emphasize the rich and the poor and favoritism a lot. That whole theme of rich and poor will come up. And then he's going to talk about the law. And you'll hear of his mentioning the Old Testament law and the royal law and what the difference is there. He speaks um, not a lot of Christ, but he quotes and refers to the Sermon on the Mount a lot. Uh, but when he does refer to Christ, he refers to him as the coming one in chapter 5 and as the great physician. Um, I've marked the key chapter as, as chapter 2 because you have here, I think, the heart of what he is arguing here, hey, that we are to, to live out our faith, that faith without works is dead. He says in, Acts, in James chapter 2, verse 26, says, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So... Some of the key verses, again, this is, you could argue for these, there's nothing divine about this, but I think what captures the heart of the book is chapter 1, verse 22, chapter 2, verse 14, 17, and and 26. You'll see some of the key words, of trials, faith, works, tongue, and wisdom. Some of the uh, unique features as I told you before, it almost reads like the book of Proverbs from one subject to the next subject, which makes sense. James is Jewish, right? He, he is closely associated and very aware of um, uh, the Jewish faith and, and literature. He's argumentative in tone and almost takes like a, de- a debate-like nature. He's anticipating even what uh, someone may raise their hand and go, yeah, but... And he kind of meets that objection and um, raises the question and then answers it. Uh, There are approximately 60 imperatives in the 108 verses of the book. Again, with 60 imperatives and 108 verses, he's saying, hey, put your faith in action. Uh, As I've told you before, there are many parallels between what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about the nearness of the kingdom of heaven, just like in Matthew 4, 17. The blessedness of the poor, the blessedness of the merciful, um, peacemaking, persecution through trials. Um, I think there's over 30 of those. And I didn't want to list all those on a slide, but there are a lot of references out there that you could see. Um, Interestingly enough, Martin Luther... Uh, famously dismissed this book as an epistle full of straw, right? Because there was a, uh, he had objection with what do you think? What did Luther struggle with this book? Yeah, the whole idea of works. James is going to say, and Abraham was justified by his works, right? He's going to give that That illustration, he's going to talk about how we're justified by our works. And if you misunderstand that, he's going to talk about Abraham and Rahab. He's going to talk about how uh, they demonstrated their faith through their works. But when you read this in isolation and don't understand the context, it's really easy to read it, pull it out, and go, say, he disagrees with what Paul says over here. And Luther took exception with James primarily because of chapter 2. Okay? Okay. That's not what James is arguing. But in the context of which Martin Luther lived, it makes sense, right? Um, And people still struggle with that today. Uh, James doesn't mention any individuals to whom he is writing or ministering with. It's interesting, you know, when you look at the book of Romans, for instance, I mean, chapter 16, there's name after name after name after name. Paul usually has names and James doesn't. Um, There's an emphasis on the practical over the doctrinal faith in action, he uh, draws spiritual lessons from several Old Testament people. I just named two. He's very aware of Old Testament teaching. And then he uses frequent uh, images from nature and analogies. Who does that sound like? What he taught? Jesus, right? But just, I mean, here are just a few. There's wind-tossed ways, withering plants, mirror for self-inspection. Uh, dead body, bridling horses, turning a ship, forest fire, taming wild beasts, fountain of water, vine of grape and figs, mist, clothes ruined by moths, rust like fire, farmers waiting on rain, rain, watering the earth. There's just you know a dozen allusions and references to nature and those things that are that are around you. And then he also talks. About, he uses paradox quite quite often. Joy in trials. The lowly boast in his high position. The rich take pride in their low position. So I would encourage you guys to read the book of James every day until we start Summit. It's five chapters. And just as you read it, you'll start picking up on each of these things. You wouldn't even need me to share them with you. Just the observant reader would start to see, hey, you know what? He uses a lot of analogies here. It's not personal. There are a lot of imperatives and you want to get the tone and the flavor for what James is calling you to do. All right. Um, now what I want to do is, uh, I want to give you a chance to, to, uh, dive into the book and I've got five sections here. And the first section is chapter one, one through 18, and he's going to talk about a tested faith. Okay. And then the, the third, fourth and fifth section is going to talk about what a true faith looks like, what a genuine faith looks like, how faith is is lived out. And so um, just with with each table, I'm going to give you a letter. And what I want you to do as a group is, is I want you to fill in this section. I want you to look, if you have section one or A rather, you're going to read verses one through 12. You're going to say, hey, tested faith does what? Okay. And then I want you to tell me what's the key verse in there. And then I want you to tell me if there are any interpretive challenges. What I mean by that is, What questions does that passage raise in your mind, and how would you answer them? See, whenever I teach something, I always have to ask myself, what's unclear? What's hard to understand? What seems contradictory? So that I can anticipate the question that's going to be asked of me when I'm leading that group. Okay, And I can promise you there's going to be a a couple of passages in here where... If you don't do your homework, those in your group are going to say, hey, what does this mean? And with just a little bit of homework, you can be prepared for that. Because they're the questions you would ask, right? And so are there any interpretive challenges that make you kind of go, that's unclear. Or that seems contrary to what I know to be true about God or his word. Okay, does that make sense? All right. So, um, all right, why don't you guys take A, B, C, D, E. A, B, C, D, E, A. Okay? Time uh, at the tables. And what I'll do is, is just hear from each group, and we'll, I'll write down kind of what you got, what your key words are. And we won't be able to do all the interpretive challenges because that's what, you know, takes a lot of time. But um, I would encourage you to mark those down because the folks in here felt like, hey, this was an interpretive challenge, then most likely it's going to be what people are going to ask you in your group and you want to be ready for that. So um, so let's go ahead. There are a few tables that had this first section here I designated as A. And if you were to summarize, attested faith does what? What would you say for those that had A? Perseveres. Perseveres. Okay. Anybody else want to put another word to that? Maturity. Okay. Matures. And what's the, um, okay, produces endurance, what'd you say, I'm sorry, Brett, you said something, okay, thanks eternally, right, anybody else, blesses, is that what you said, okay, and what's the key verse in this section, you think, would summarize the main idea, okay, read that out loud, please, sir. All right. And what are the interpretive challenges in this section? Seven. seven? Read seven and tell us why, Hill.
0: It says, such, uh, it says uh, do not waver for a person who is divided, or a person with divided loyalty is an unsettled, is a the to seek, is blown and tossed by the wind. But here's the hard part. Such people should not expect
1: to receive anything from the Lord. All right good. So what question does that raise in your mind? Yeah. Yeah. It's good. All right. I can absolutely anticipate somebody asking that. Anything else that you'd say here? All right. What about the next group? Attested faith does what? Is not deceived. All right. What else do y'all have? Resist temptation. Okay. Resist temptation. Doesn't blame God for temptation. Doesn't blame God. All right. And what's the key verse here? Do you think? All. What's that? Okay. Anybody else? All right. 13, 16. There's nothing inspired about this, right? It's just what is helpful for you. And what about any interpretive challenges here you anticipate somebody asking? Okay, that's good. Yeah, I'll tell you what's going to happen here. It's the same word is used for uh, trials and temptations. And so how are we to understand the the difference in the nuance in the context there? Is it supposed to be translated differently? And so you want to look at different um, uh, translations in the Bible and see how they work that out. But you've got the same Greek word that's used in one... Portion translated as trial, another portion translated as temptation. Okay? So um, I, I would in, encourage you to take a look at that. Nope. All right. Uh, what about the group it had verses 19 through 27? A true faith does what? Does it as as it takes action. Takes action. Self-control does what it says. And what's your key verse? All right, what does it say? All right. So true faith applies God's word. And any interpretive challenges there or? Pretty straightforward. 19. All right, what's, why 19? Uh, so about anger. How do, you, how do you know when you're supposed to be angry, you're supposed to
0: push back, and you're supposed to just make it?
1: What a great thought. Never thought about that before. Yeah, so just dealing with the issue of anger. You know, Paul says, hey, it, it, when he talks about anger in the book of Ephesians, what does he say? Be angry, but Don't sin. So, is anger the problem? It's what you do with that anger. How do we understand anger? Then the light, you know, good cross reference here. That's how you learn God's word, asking questions like this. What are the passages of Scripture? Help me understand it. And keep, keep plugging along. All right, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. What'd you say? A true faith does what? What? Loves. Loves, okay. Is merciful. Is merciful. Yeah, I think does not show favoritism probably is the most specific there, right? Can you think of ways we show favoritism as a church? Of course, we could all think of ways we show favoritism. To the guy who's dressed a little nicer, to the guy who makes a little more money, to the guy who's got the, excuse me, influential job, you know, we tend to show favoritism. <coughs> Excuse me. What about the key verse here? I'm sorry? Okay. All right, why don't you read one of those for us? Verse 1 says, My neighbor was a sister, and I'm going to have faith in the Lord and the kingdom of Christ. Good. And what does 13 say? Perfect. And what about any interpretive challenges? <clears throat> Doesn't have to be an interpretive challenge, but thanks. Doesn't have to be an interpretive challenge, but what What do you, anything you see there? Okay. Okay. All right. And what verse is that? All right. Okay, and what does verse 12 say? Great, great. That certainly would raise questions. All right, and what about two fourteen through the end of the chapter? <clears throat> A true faith does what, for those that had that section? Takes action? Works? I like both of those. And what's the key verse here? What does that say? There you go. And what are the interpretive challenges here? I'm sorry? Yeah. Yeah, and so what verse would 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 you say you'd point to if that verse was taken out of context? You go, uh-oh. 2, okay. it, uh oh. Okay. Yes, but what verse in this chapter, if taken out of context, presents problems? Fourteen. What does it say? What is it, dear brothers and say you have okay. Do y'all see the section a little bit further down there where it talks about Abraham? Did I mention to you earlier? Read that for us. There you go. What does that say? There you go. How about that one? That that would make you kind of go. What what'd you say? If I if I quoted that to you guys this morning, probably many of you would. You know, look at our elder over here and go. You let that guy teach, right? And I'm and I'm quoting a passage of scripture and and uh, but you, as you understand, when scripture is taken out of context, it can lead you into a whole world of hurt. So there's a difference, and you need. A, this is something that's worth noting. There's a difference between what scripture says and what t- scripture teaches. Okay, it's always a good principle of interpretation to keep in mind. The Bible says there is no God. Do you know that? It says it multiple times, in fact. Right in context, though, it says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. There's a difference between what the Bible says and what it teaches. It says, verse 24, what is it teaching that? Not in context, that's not how we understand it. Okay, so <clears throat> I would encourage you, Make note of this, and then um, as, you, as you walk out, I'm going to give you just a, a similar little chart like this and, with some things for you to, to fill in. But if you've done this right here, and you read the book of James five times between now and when we start, and think through how you would answer these questions that are going to be raised in your group, you're ready for the next six weeks, right? So familiarize yourself with James, help those guys learn this book. Okay? But more importantly, push them to the so what. Of all books, we've got to push through the, hey, are we living out what we say we believe? Are we taking action? In what ways in our lives are we showing favoritism? Okay? What are we doing to apply God's word? And where are those areas in every area of our life where, you know, we look in the mirror, but we walk away and there is no action. In our marriage, in our work, with our kids, with our enemies. Okay? How are we resisting temptation and are we persevering through trial? Are we ready for trial? You know, those are are things worth some good discussion there. And some of us are doing better than we think we are. And we need community and those around us to help us not be deceived. Because most often we'll think we're doing better than we are. Right? And we need somebody like our wives or close friends to go, Hey man, you think you've got a control on that. It's not what I see. All right? This is going to be a great summit. And uh, Bobby, you want to just lead us in a time of prayer and then we'll wrap up? Yes, sir, We've got about three or four yeah. Will that, Hold on, guys. Will that chart be in your handout? Uh, yes, this chart is in my handout and I don't have it just like you all have it here. But yes, this chart is. And this chart is what they will get. So every week they need to come in ready with, hey, here's how I would do this. And what I would encourage you to do, and this is not hard and this is not long. By the time we're done... I think you would want to say to your group, okay, guys, let's go over this again. And by memory, say, hey, a tested faith does what? It perseveres. What does it do? It resists temptation. A true faith. What do we know about a true faith? And just walk through it, okay, with those guys. And at the end of this, you can do this through the whole book of James. At the end of this, you have that book palmed. You know it. Okay? Makes sense? Does that answer your question? Bobby? Yes, sir. Reading the words that are right here, or we're supposed to refer to other other parts of the book, other parts of the Bible. Go. This is not really what he said. Uh, Both and. So you want to read every verse in context of each paragraph, paragraph, chapter, chapter, book, book, to the rest of Scripture. We don't believe Scripture would contradict each other. I think there are passages of Scripture where you want to let the clear passages of Scripture inform the passages that are confusing. But oftentimes, if we just read and understand the argument that's being made right there and not isolate one phrase or verse or word, then we'll serve ourselves well. But, but you've got to do that by reading the whole around it. So...